Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. When Joseph Scheidler passed away at the age of 93 in January of 2021, he left a legacy of nearly 50 years of peaceful pro-life activism that took him around the nation and the world. Mr. Scheidler and his wife Anne co-founded the Chicago-based Pro-Life Action League. He authored Closed, 99 Ways to Stop Abortion and Racketeer for Life. During an Illinois Family Institute pro-life forum in Frankfort, Illinois, back in June of 2017, Mr. Scheidler reflected on his work, his calling. The other night I was reading Shakespeare's Hamlet. I was trying to think of some quotes from, from Hamlet because he had a rough life, and I had a quote I wanted to be absolutely sure of, so I read the whole, I read Hamlet. My wife said, what are you doing? I'm reading Hamlet. And Hamlet said something that I think will ring true in your ears tonight, where he said, the time is out of joint. Oh, cursed plight that ever I was born to set it right. Now, Hamlet had a lot of problems. He had just found out from the ghost of his own father, the king, that the king had been murdered by his brother, Hamlet's uncle. And that within two months of the murder, of Hamlet's father, the mother married the brother. Remember the story? So his mother knew something about this. His mother was not in love with his father. She was in love with the uncle. The uncle had murdered the father. Hamlet, meanwhile, is obsessed by Ophelia, who ultimately commits suicide. The whole story's kind of a mess. You can see why I had to read it again. I wanted to be depressed. (laughs) Uh, So that I could really feel the words, the time is out of joint, oh cursed plight, that ever I was born to set it right. But I was thinking about that because the time is out of joint and has been out of joint for as long as I can remember. It's been falling apart. The churches, the ministers, the teachers, the businessmen, the politicians, everybody seems to be coming down more and more. And when abortion became legal, I was so shocked, so horrified, because I knew something very basic that everybody should know. A human being exists from the beginning. From the beginning, not sometime, 12 weeks, 20 weeks. At the beginning, we began. A new human being who will exist for all eternity with mind and soul exists at that moment. And yet my government, the government I went and joined the Navy to help during World War II, if I could, of course, as soon as they found out I had enlisted, Germany quit. (laughs) (laughs) Then we were going to the Pacific and Japan quit. So I uh, got the GI Bill, but I didn't get any glory. Uh, I was in the Navy, though, and so I at least have, can wear the uniform if I want to. I went on one of those trips, the, the old soldier trips to Washington. A lot of fun. Had a lot of fun, but they were much younger than me. What I decided to do in 1973 when I read the Supreme Court decision 
was to quit my job. I didn't really want to quit the job, but my boss called me in and he said, Joe, you have lost interest in selling Marlite paneling and Talibia cheese and Shakespeare fishing tackle. All you're interested in is abortion. And I said, well, Paul, why aren't you? Why aren't the other people interested in it? Why are they going about their business so casually when we are starting to kill up now at uh, four, two, three, four thousand children a day in this country? I would bring the subject up at lunch. I would talk to people on the bus. I couldn't see why people didn't seem to care that human life was no longer protected. At that time, my wife Anne was pregnant with our fourth child, and we were asked uh, just before Roe v. Wade to come downtown for a rally. Henry Hyde was speaking. Remember Henry? Henry Hyde, a precious memory for me. I love that guy. Uh, was speaking, and so I was going to stay home and watch a football game, and my wife said, you're going downtown to a rally in the Civic Center, and Henry Hyde speaking. So, under obedience, a vow, <laughs> which, which all men take to their wives, I skipped the football game. We went downtown, took my three little boys, and as we walked up toward the uh, speaker stand going across the street there, they handed me a piece of paper printed by the press, um, in uh, Cincinnati by Jack Wilkie, and it showed a little basket, a black basket, full of babies that had been aborted that morning in a hospital in Canada, and it was called Life and Death. And when I saw those babies in a garbage bag, and I looked at my three little boys, and I thought of our little child still in the womb, I thought, I've got to listen to what is going on, and Henry Hyde laid it out. He laid it out what was coming. We didn't know, we didn't believe it would happen. But on January 22, 1973, Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton told us the future of this country, that anybody who wasn't already born was garbage. Human beings made in the likeness of Almighty God can be thrown in the garbage up till the day they're born. Because that's what Dobie Bolton said. And you know, of the four newspapers that were being published in Chicago at that time, the Chicago Tribune, the Sun-Time, the American, and the Daily News, only one of them, only one of them told you abortion was available for the full term of pregnancy. The Chicago Daily News, which no longer exists, had Dobie Bolton. All the rest stuck on Roe v. Wade. And so you would have thought from the newscasts, from the broadcast and so on, abortion was allowed somewhere up around the middle of a pregnancy. And Dovey Bolton, it said, until the end of the pregnancy. For nine months, a baby could be aborted. So my boss did suggest that, uh, since I was interested in abortion, that I make that my life's work. And I said, Paul, how do you possibly make a living fighting abortion? And he said, well, you've had the background in PR, and uh, you know a little bit about uh, public speaking and the radio and TV and so on. He said, uh, you can do it. He said, I'm going to keep you on payment. Since uh, Anne was still pregnant, we had a couple more months for the baby to be born. I'll keep you at half salary, and you'll keep our insurance until your baby's born. And uh, then you're on your own. So I thought that was a pretty good deal. So I started studying, reading everything I could find on abortion and trying to find people that felt the same way I did. And I started finding people all over that felt the same way. And little by little, we began doing the pro-life work. But it was tough. 
It was tough. You didn't have any outline. You didn't have great big clubs to go to. And so I decided, well, whatever I can do, I'll do. Whatever. I thought the pictures, the pictures got me excited, so we'll use the pictures. And the truth, the fact, the scientific facts, we'll use those. We'll print the facts for people. We'll let them see what science says about when life begins. It doesn't begin in the middle. It begins at the beginning. And we started doing everything we could. And then we realized something. Ora et labor. I had been a Benedictine monk for a while and had learned some Latin. And probably three of the most important words I ever learned were ora et labora. You pray and you work. That's the combination. You pray. And notice this, the sequence, ora et labora. You pray first. You pray constantly, then you work. Then you've got a winning combination. You just don't go out and do it. You get down on your knees and you say, God, you created this mess. I mean this beautiful world and the, the, <laughs> the, the planets and the galaxies and the black holes and the things. I don't even have any idea what they are. They're so big and so far away. You created it all. And on it, you put human beings on this little teeny tiny piece of dust out here in this galaxy. But we know they mean a lot to you because you sent your own son and you made him a human being like us. And he came into the world to save us so that we could spend eternity with you. So there must be something very important here in these little tiny human beings that are now thrown out as garbage. So we started praying and I started reading and I started remembering. And I remembered that another Latin phrase was agere sequitur esse. Agere sequitur esse, three more little words. Your actions will follow you what you are. What you are, your actions will show. So you have to be a believer. You have to be a prayer. You have to be a worker. You have to be tireless. You have to have deep faith. You have to have expansive hope. And you have to love. And with those things, Audrey, that is your being, your existing, your actions flow. And from that comes essay, your being, your essay, Audrey, your, your actions will be like your being. They will show you. That's a battle. Ora et labora, to work and to pray, and Audrey sequitur essay, to let your actions show who you are. So you look to who? You look to the man who is also God, Jesus Christ, and you see what he taught. And wherever Jesus went, he was looking for what? A virtue in you a belief in you, a faith. You had to believe the same way because everybody around you was thinking, well, abortion's okay. The Supreme Court legalized it. The Supreme Court, those are the supreme beings. How could they be wrong? They're lawyers, they're judges. They found it in the Constitution. And they told everybody, it's there. The Constitution of the United States permits abortion. And we believe that for, what, 44 years now, that the Supreme Court was right. Well, you know what Justice White said? that that decision was an exercise of raw judicial power without precedent in the Constitution or anywhere else. It's made up. And as a result of that guess by Blackman and Brennan and people like that, we have murdered, what, 58 million or more children by surgical abortion alone, not counting all the pills and so on. We have wiped out a world on a mistake, on a guess. Can we live with that? 
I can't live with it. I can't live in a society where other human beings are treated like trash and thrown away and made fun of. I mean, you listen, I've gone to the abortionist meetings, the National Abortion Federation Convention. Remember the first time I ever went, I flew down late one Sunday evening and I got to the airport in uh, Louisiana. It was way out from New Orleans at that time, like 40 miles from town. And so I had to catch a cab, and there was a guy there, and uh, he said, uh, Sir, are you going by any chance to the uh, National Abortion Federation Convention? And I said, Yes, I am. Are you? And he said, Yes. So uh, I said, well, Who are you? He said, I'm uh, Dr. George Tiller, and uh, I, I'm going to take a cab. Do you want to share a cab with me? I said, Doc, I'd love to. We're going to the same convention. So I rode in with Dr. Tiller and let him do all the talking. I found out more about Dr. George Tiller, Tiller the Killer, from Wichita, Kansas, than I uh, think his wife or any of his kids knew about him. He told everything, why, why he did abortions, what it was like, why he used ultrasound, the whole thing. And then he stopped at a cheap hotel, and I went on to the big hotel where they were having the convention, and I decided the next day to go to the convention. I was just going to picket it, but Andy Schulberg was with me, and he'd bought a ticket to the convention. It was expensive. But he got in, so I went up to the gal selling tickets there. She was some high school kid they'd just gotten for the, she didn't know anybody. I gave her my 150 bucks and bought a ticket, and she said, what's your organization? And I said, the Action League. I left the pro-life part out. <laughs> I said, I'm Joe Schotter from the Action League. And she said, oh, I think it was Taylor, here's your ticket. But I, I, I went to everything. And they found out who I was, they found out who Andy was, they tried to get rid of us. But what could they do? They'd call in the security and they'd say, we don't want them in here. And the security would say, what'd they do? Well, nothing. Well, why, don't, what, why do you want them out? Because they don't believe like we do. And he'd well, I can't help that. And he'd leave. So we had every, every meeting. They tried to throw us out and didn't have any reason to because we were just sitting there listening and taking notes and finding out all of their secrets. And it was a funny thing because once they'd start talking to each other, they wanted to go on with their conference, and they, they couldn't leave stuff out because of these two crazy pro-lifers there, so they just tell everything. I found out everything I needed to know about the abortionists and how they do it and why and what they charge. And I'll tell you one thing that, that stood out, because I, go, I, I kept going to these conventions different ways. Sometimes I would have to photograph somebody with their badge and then go to the store and buy all the stuff and make a badge and <laughs> look like theirs. We got 12 people in one time that way just by taking a picture of Bill Baird, who was one of these show-off pro-abortion guys. We said, Bill, can we take your picture? And he said, yeah, smiling. We took his picture and got the, everything that was on the badge, the dots and the, the, the same paper and the same clip and everything else. And we made 12 badges and went into the, the meetings, all their meetings. So I did find out a lot. And a lot of it I put in, in the book because... I think people ought to know what the abortionists are thinking, how they live. But one thing they always did, and this was interesting to me, they always had somebody there with a collar on who would justify what they did. They would always find a, an ex-minister, uh, some Catholic priest that left the priesthood or something like that. They'd bring them in. They'd have to look like they were, you know, religious, carrying a collar and all that, and they would justify abortion for them. And it was so pitiful, it was one of the hardest things to sit through, to see somebody who is supposed to be representing God saying, oh, it's okay to kill children. It's okay to kill children. So they could, because it bothered them. It bothered them, and it still bothers them. 
The late Joseph Scheidler during an Illinois Family Institute forum in June of 2017. More of his reflections from that event after this. America's chaplain faces jail time for the crime of being an American. Chaplain Stephen Lee tells his story 6.30 p.m. Friday, March 15th at the Church of Christian Liberty in Arlington Heights. Find out more at IllinoisFamily.org. We're going to fight this thing. This is bigger than me. When disasters strike, Chaplain Lee provides pastoral care. He comforted after 9-11, Columbine, and when 2020 election fraud charges surfaced in Georgia, he offered spiritual help and guidance, but a left-wing prosecutor wants to silence him. This transcends politics, things like faith, family, and freedom. So we're going to stand. Help Chaplain Lee fight for freedom. Join him 6.30 p.m. Friday, March 15th at the Church of Christian Liberty in Arlington Heights. Find out more at IllinoisFamily.org, IllinoisFamily.org. During this edition of Illinois Family Spotlight, we're highlighting remarks made by the late Joseph Scheidler at an IFI pro-life forum held in Frankfort, Illinois, back in June of 2017. In this segment, Mr. Scheidler addresses the loss of humanity in our nation. I was talking to a woman the other day. I was just at a party, Anne was there, and I thought well, I should talk to these people at the end of this table. I've talked enough to the people on the side Anne was on. And so I started talking to the other people, and I found out one of the women there was pro-abortion at this party. And her whole demeanor, her complexion, everything changed when she found out I was pro-life. It was like, how did he get in here? I was the enemy to her because she was pro-abortion. I said, look, I said, don't you know that this is a human being? No, it's not. It's not a human being. It's not a human being until it's born. It doesn't have a head. It doesn't have a heart. It doesn't have all kind of things. I said, well, it gets them. It's got them there. It's got all the makings. It's got the DNA for a heart and head and eyes and everything you've got. You were that at one time. What if somebody got rid of you? None of my arguments did any good. And she didn't like me. And I said, well, look, I've written a book. I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you my book and sign it. And she said, I won't read it. There's a hatred. There's an anger. But there's something worse. There's a loss of humanity. There's a loss of love of one another, love of neighbor and love of God. And that's a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing because, see, we, we are like any, unlike anything else in the universe. The entire universe is not worth this fertilized egg because that little fertilized egg is made in the image and likeness of Almighty God with an eternal destiny. We will go on forever. You and I will never end, whether we want to or not. We're gone somewhere, and it will last forever. We can't even conceive of it. Our mind will not, will not conceive. You can't grasp eternity, timelessness. The end never comes. And we're facing it, and they're facing it too. And that's why I have to... Always be loving, always, even to this woman who you know, didn't want me there, didn't like me, and uh, was totally wrong about the unborn child, because she has to answer for that. And we all do. And that's why it's so important when we go out there. We're not just saving babies. We're saving humanity. We're saving each other, our neighbors. They have to know. 
And so we can't sit around and wait and waste our time. Odds are res sequitur esse. Your actions will flow from your being. Your being has to be you care. Jesus said, you know, to, to love your neighbor, to see him in other people, to consider others as, as yourself, that you always are concerned. And that is absolutely critical. And you may suffer. We've had some weird things happen. Not real tough. I was sued by the National Organization of Women as a, a racketeer. We were in court for 26 years. We were back and forth three times before the Supreme Court. I don't like Washington that well. I'll drive I fly out there and sit and be told you're a, a bad person and you take money away from these nice people that kill babies and so on. Uh, there was a little suffering. We've gotten bricks through our windows. One of them had a note tied to it in a bag. And I opened it up and it said, I'm a pro-abortionist, and I forget the exact words, but it says, you won't deprive us of our Queen Anne's lace. That's kind of weird, wasn't it? Queen Anne, I know what Queen Anne's lace. So later that day, uh, there was a detective there asking his questions, and he looked it up on his phone. Queen Anne's lace is that sort of ugly plant that grows in, in the alleys mostly. It's got a real flat top with little teeny tiny buds on it. It, uh, we called it the alley flowers, flat. Anyway, that's a abortifacient. If you grind that up, it's an abortifacient or a, a, a contraceptive. And they've used that since way back, I suppose Cain and Abel or somebody discovered that. But that was their Queen Anne's lace. But they said, you won't deprive us of our Queen Anne's lace, meaning you will not take abortion away from us. Well, you know what? We're sure going to try. I think when, when you do suffer a little bit, because you will, if you're out there in the winter and you're trying to talk a girl out of an abortion and a boyfriend comes along and starts pushing you around so on, or if you're arrested, as we've been many times, or if you're uh, simply uh, finding it hard to argue with somebody, whatever, just remember the suffering is part of it. And Jesus was known how. How did they know it? What did Thomas say when... They said, we've seen, we've seen the Lord. He came in. And John Thomas said, no, he didn't. He didn't come in. He's dead. And he said, no, we saw him. And so Thomas is there the next week. And our Lord says, what? Thomas, come here and see my wounds. Put your finger in the nail hole. Put your hand in my side. It's me. And Thomas believed. He saw the wounds. Jesus is recognized by his wounds. And that's how we ought to be recognized. We've got to pay a price. And if you haven't paid a price yet, work on it. Get, get wounded. Look for those wounds, one way or another, because that's what's needed to, to fight this battle. We have to have a deep love, a deep love not just for the unborn, but for all the people who are involved in any way in this issue, in any way. Get people who aren't too active more active. Get yourself active. Get people who are pro-abortion to start thinking about it. Be nice to them, but find a time you can talk to them and talk about this. Don't be ashamed of it. We go out with the pictures. And people say, oh, no, not the pictures. Even pro-lifers, don't show the pictures. Little kids see those pictures. Who broke the baby? You know, they don't see the pictures the same way you do. We have to go out on the streets. And one time we kept count. In the week that we were out with our pictures, standing along the highway, 30 feet apart, three types of abortion, three type ages of the baby, and so on, we had 22 women stop 
stop and park, which isn't always easy in Chicago, and get out and tell us, because of that picture, I've canceled my abortion. Now that's 22. If, if we upset somebody by having those pictures, the fact that 22 little kids will be running around next summer that weren't going to be here, it's worth it. It's worth it. Take it. Take it. And I admit it. I don't feel good standing there holding a gory picture. You know, and people come by booing and throwing things. We've had everything thrown at us. Um, we've had knives thrown at us, guns pulled on us, all kind of things. So let me encourage you to come out and join us. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Life is the most precious thing on earth that God gives it to his own life. He gives it to us. It's a total free gift. How we use it is up to us. And in this time in our history, they are killing our children thousands and thousands a day, and we've got to be fighting for them and stop them from doing it. There's nobody lost that's still alive. Even the most worst abortion. I knew uh, one time I told uh, Bernard Nathanson, we were on the same program, and he was down in the lobby, and I went over and I said, you know, Dr. Nathanson, I don't trust you. I, don't, and I never stand up when you have given your talk and everybody else stands up because you've quit doing abortions. I don't trust that you really understand what you did. You did 70,000 abortions. You wiped out a city. And he said, Joe, suicide runs in my family. My father killed himself and my, my sister killed herself. And if I would let myself really concentrate on what I've done, wiped out a city, I would kill myself. So he said, if I come off looking like I'm not really repentant or, or remorseful for what I did, it's because if I let myself understand exactly what I've done, I'd kill myself. And I felt sorry for that guy. I started praying for him. He, he was a good man. He had changed completely. And he'd do anything. He said, I'll come out anytime you want me to give a talk, witness, whatever. It's on me. I'll fly out myself. I'll pay my own bills. Became a friend from one of the biggest abortionists in the country. So never give up. We've had uh, speakers come in. We've done Meet the Abortion Providers, Abortion the Inside Story. We've gotten women who ran abortion clinics, doctors who did abortions, women who did abortions from Mississippi and so on. These are all now pro-life leaders. So there's, there's always hope. I want to end with this. I like Shakespeare. I don't understand him very much, but I, I like him. He says, this story shall the good man teach his son, and crisp and crispy and shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We. This is, this is Henry talking to his little dinky bunch of soldiers that have come over from England to get a chunk of England back that France had taken. He wants to get this piece of England back. So he says, this little group of us sitting around here came over on rafts and some um, little boats and things. From this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we can say that, can't we? We happy few, we band of brothers. For he who sheds his blood with me today shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen now abed in England, who were not here, will think themselves accursed and hold their manhood cheap when any speaks who fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. And then I tell my audience, we're that little band of brothers, and we happy few have fought it. Thanks.
the late Joseph Scheidler, the godfather of pro-life activism during an IFI pro-life forum in June of 2017. The work of the Pro-Life Action League, which he and his wife Ann founded, continues. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute and Illinois Family Action, and tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.